I've been thinking through where, we, uh, where we're heading and, and, and what God's showing us, and there's some, some incredibly exciting stuff. I've been in conversation with a lot of guys who preach um, from here and, and chatting about what God's stirring in us, and there's some in, incredible, incredible conversations we've been having. At the last time all of the preachers got together, we were talking on baptism, and it got so exciting, so enthralled that Timmy actually said, hey, I don't think that I've been baptised into what we're talking about here. So it was nine o'clock at night and we went to his pool, we baptised him. That God was, was in, in a conversation, was so um, enlightening and showing us who he was that, that Timmy said, I don't think I've been baptised like this. The things God's starting to reveal to us are super exciting. I'm reading a book at the moment that I'm, I, I can't put down and I, 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 there's so much stuff in there. I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do with all this? This is stuff that we are, the church hasn't even begun to touch on. So I, I'm excited about this year. I said last week that given that it's a new year, we, we, we start off a, a brand new year. There's a lot of stuff that changes. There's a lot of things that, that happen, but there's also a lot that doesn't change. We believe that God has given us a, a blueprint, a, a picture, a, an understanding of, of where he wants us to take the church. That hasn't changed. So I want to step through some of that this morning and just explain where we feel God taking us. I know that there's some, some new faces out there, so I'll give you a little intro. My wife, Jess, and I took over the church from Mal and Edie, this beautiful couple, about, how long ago was that, Edie? You know the dates. <laughs> Nearly a year and a half ago. And it's been fascinating for us to be able to continue walking with Mal and Edie so powerfully. Um, the church was established by two churches coming together, replanning, remodeling, and we've gone through some, some incredible storms. And we've been topped and turned, and, and we really feel like God now is, has, has settled us as a community. We feel that there's been a, 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 a rickety trying to understand where he's taking us and bring it all in. But we feel like God now has settled us and can continue to walk us into what he showed us nearly two years ago. I was on the leadership team and I felt God stirring in me a picture. So I wrote, as I do, I wrote thousands of words down as to what I felt God was showing me. And when I took it to Jess, I thought, there's no way she's going to be on board with this. And I explained what we were feeling and she's like, man, I... I'm feeling the same thing. So we, we got on a journey, a year and a half we've now been leading. And can I tell you, it is the most exciting, difficult, incredible job to be leading a church. And we are so overjoyed. We are so thankful for all of you. You know, that there's a, every time we drive home, you know, Jess and I talk through where we're at and what we're feeling. And we are so encouraged by every one of you. For Mary to, be able to stand on something like that is phenomenal. You know, to, to, to be able to walk with Debbie, what she's come through, and, and see her sitting there and so joyed to worship God, that's wins in my book. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of churches on the Gold Coast and more, more and more planting. And this week I was in my office and I found a, a lady tapped on the door and um, turns out she was looking for another church in this street that doesn't exist. And I said, are you, she said, I'm looking for this other church. I said, oh, that's, no, 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 this is our community. And she said, oh, 
are you guys moving out and this new church moving in? And I was like, oh, I hope not. <laughs> I should probably know that. If someone's going to know that, that should be me. But turns out she had the wrong building. She was going to a building up the street. So I, I found from that that there's another church moving into the street. And in my... I, I, someone asked me, I was talking, I had lunch with somebody and I was telling them and they said, um, does it worry you? And in my flesh, I thought, yeah, it does. And before, thankfully, before I was able to open my mouth, the Spirit took over. And I said, no, not even a smallest iota. I'm not worried about that. Because they have a job to do, like we have a job to do. Like the guys at house up the road have a job to do. And you know, when we get to the place where we understand it doesn't matter how many bums are in seats, what matters is a, the, the true discipleship of Christ. That when I look at Mary and I hear that testimony, I go, God's moving in this place. When I look at, at all of us growing and, and people calling me and saying, bro, have you seen this in the scriptures? Do you know that Paul was talking about Jesus? I go, I do know that. That's fantastic. That's exciting to me because I can see people growing. When I sit at lunch with guys and they say to me, I've never seen the church like this. I drive away from those meetings pumped excited because I go, God, you are growing us in this place. That to me is growth. That's church growth. I'm going to talk on it a bit later, but no, I won't say anything now. Every house in this city has a job to do. Every one of us. We all have a job to do. I'm going to explain the blueprint that we, we feel we are stepping out. But it's not businesses. These aren't competing businesses. We, Jess and I pray regularly for other churches in, in this city. Almost every Sunday morning when we drive past house, we pray for them. God, send them people. Send them people. Allow them to change lives. We have to understand that when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said that we're many, body, uh, many parts of one body, that's what this thing looks like. We need to be helping one another, being excited for one another, and, and being in a place where we can say, man, I love you. I don't care your background, I don't care what church you go to, I don't care what you think. Do you believe that Jesus died, rose again, is seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming back? Yes, then I love you, my brother. That is where we're going. That's what the church needs to look like. That's one body with many parts. So I want to, I'm saying this because I want to encourage us that sometimes we can look around the room and we can see that, that at times there's not many people here. But it's not the amount of people that are here. It's the impact those people have. I was talking with, um, I can't remember who it was. I think I was talking with Josh about it. But there was a church here in the city that had about 30 people, 30 to 40 people. But after one year, that church sowed $180,000 into charities and into ministries around the coast and globally. 180,000 people. And there was 20 of them. Now, we look at that guy and we go, oh, he's a small church leader. Yet he's blowing other churches out of the water in their, in their generosity and their gratefulness. And you know what? He wouldn't have cared. Because he said, God told me to do something. I'm doing it. These 20 people he gave me, I'm going to turn them into discipleship disciples. And they're going to go out and get 20 more. And they don't have to bring them to me. I want to see the kingdom come. You know, everything we do, we do to expand the garden and to bring the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. That's our job. For all of us, it looks different, but that's our job. 
It's not to fill this place with people. We want big people. God, I, I pray all the time, God, send me the big people. Send the generals. Send me the Mike Eltringhams who will diligently serve you. You know, in, in that, that verse in Acts 2 where it says after Peter um, preaches after Pentecost, after the spirits come, he goes out and it says that they devoted themselves to the work and ministry of God. They devoted themselves to what he was telling them to do. That's the people. That's the generation that rises up of young and old to say, God, we want to expand your garden and bring the rule and reign of your kingdom. That's the people. When we first started dreaming about this and, and God was showing me things, this is the thing that he showed me. Positioning our lives in Jesus and becoming examples of him. And it was a bit of a, 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 a punch in the face from what Crossing Point was built on and what Set Free was built on. And it's this picture and this design that I, I keep going back to, God, I want to be an example of you. Mike Eltringham talks about the fact that which is, is taken from Paul about the fact that we should be image bearers of the Father. That when we were created, when we were created in the likeness and image of God, we were created in such a way that we're to bear the image of the creator of the universe, of God the Father. We bear that image. When we walk into a place, that's what we carry. That's what Jesus did. When he stepped in, the reason they knew who he was because it was written all over his face. It was written in the way that he spoke, the way that he walked. It was who he was. He was an image bearer of the Father. That's why he was able to say in boldness, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he carried who the Father was. So then he calls us into a place to be image bearers of him so that when people see us, they see Jesus. And when they see Jesus, they see the Father. I can't remember who it was. It was probably Dan Moller or Todd White or somebody, somebody incredibly extreme like that. But it talked about the fact that event, you should be able to evangelize without opening your mouth. That when our life becomes an example of Christ, we don't have to give them the, the evangelistic message because your life is giving it. Every step that you take, everywhere you go, you're giving an evangelistic message. So that's what we're aspiring to be. That's what I'm, I'm challenging guys in. How do we become like Jesus? To be, in order to become like Jesus, you need to know who he is. We need to pardon me, understand who he is. We need to see him, seek him be looking through the scriptures, the reason Paul was able to say so boldly, follow me as I follow, the, follow Jesus, is because he knew who Jesus was. He knew him. That's a very, very scary thing to say. I'm very, very slow to say to people, hey, just follow me because I'll show you who Jesus is. But man, I wish, I hope one day I can stand in that place and I know that I know my Jesus so well that I can say, if you just do what I do, you'll see him. That's a big, big call, but man, I aspire to be that. That's what I think the Christian life is. God showed us four areas, four areas that he was unpackaging, downloading, showing me what it looks like, and there were four areas that, that I feel we're to build the church on, and this is the four areas. Focus, Reformation, discipleship, and mission. Almost every church you go into, you will see at least two of those, mission and discipleship. Because when you flip through the scriptures, you cannot get away from the fact that we're supposed to be disciples. And you cannot get away from the fact that we're supposed to do something about it. So almost every church will have those. So those two were pretty, were pretty well-rounded. I'm going to speak through them briefly today. But 
the other two, the focus and the reformation, were the two that, that I've had to explain every time I show somebody this because they say, I don't understand. That's okay. I'm going to explain it. Colossians 3.2, it says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. Everywhere I looked, in every church that I was going into, I was, I was being stirred by the Spirit to look away from ourselves and to look back at Christ. And I kept, I kept being in, in times of worship, starting to get frustrated and starting to get um, unraveled because I was saying, God, I want to sing about you. I don't want to sing about me. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to sing about even the guy next to me, as harsh as that sounds. God, I want to sing about you. I want to worship you. And the more that I started to, be, to get on this journey, I started to see things unraveling where I think we've just missed it. And we, we've become a self-help group. We haven't become a, a forwarding of the church, of the gospel of Christ. When we look at Paul, the apostle, in the jail cell, worshipping God, that's a phenomenal picture. He's not in there singing about himself. He's not whining. He's not, he's not being a sook. He's going, God, I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to stand in this place. I'm going to give you everything that I have. I started to see that, that we weren't doing that. So as I started to unpack that, God started to show me, if you look at me, I will show you who I am. And that's, that situation of yours will fall apart. You know, when Jesus walked into the place, the demons knew who he was to the point that he said, it's not your time, you can't do this yet. They knew who he was. And sometimes I was standing and saying, God, I don't know who you are. Not that well. I don't know what it looks like to be, to be that close with you. Show me. And I tell you, when we shifted that and we've, we've been on a journey, as a, a lot of the worship guys will know, we've been focusing on the songs that we sing and changing the way that we sing about God, not singing about ourselves. Because when, we, when that happens, God breaks in. It says that he's enthroned on the praises and worships of his people. I don't want to sing about myself. God, I want to sing about you. I want to enthrone you on my praises because that's where the glory is. God, that's where the power is. That's where we move mountains. That's where the demons come in and say, oh, I don't want to go there because I know that they know Jesus. That's the place we want this church to be in. I don't care if there's, there's 10 or 1,000. I want guys to look at the people in here and say, flip, those guys know Jesus. Mike tells a story about when he walked into a, um, a, a knitting shop and there was a Muslim man in, in Dubai and he said, I see Jesus in your eyes. Man, that's what I want to be. I want to know him so well that people see him on me. I don't care how we do church. I don't care what it looks like. I just care to be on my knees at the feet of Jesus saying, I will worship you, Father. I don't, I'm a little off track, but when we keep the main thing, the main thing, we are compelled to further the kingdom of God and not further the traditions of man. When we are looking at Jesus, we will build what Jesus is building. I preached um, beginning of last year about the cornerstone. In, in Jewish building, and I think we still use the same, I'm far from a builder, but I think we use the same things now, but 
they would lay a stone in the corner of the building and everything would be built from that stone. That was how they got the, the right angle um, to, to lay the foundation and everything was built precept upon precept, stone upon stone upon stone. They would lay the first one and then the next one was laid after it and laid after it and laid after it. That's what it means for Jesus to be the cornerstone in our life. That when we lay his, him as the first foundational stone, everything mimics off that. And when we, when we miss that, when we lay a stone that doesn't look like the first stone, our buildings skew, and when the storm comes, it falls over. And you know what's interesting? It falls over right back to the stone that was out of place. And we re-look at it and go, oh, I understand. Fix that one stone and move forward. That's what it comes for our focus. When we stand in this place, we, get, we say, Jesus, I refuse to build a stone that doesn't look like you. If that means it takes us a bit longer, we won't build it. God, if that means that, that we can't have home groups yet because we don't know what it looks like to build it after the, your stone, we're going to wait. If that means, God, that we, we're, I'm going to stand and not give any advice into that situation until I see you, I'm going to wait. When we're at... at um, Awakening in, in Melbourne, Heidi Baker set this phenomenal standard that she refused to preach until she heard God. To the point that she came out on the stage, she put her Bible on the floor, she dropped to her knees and she waited. It was awkward and awesome at the same time. You start thinking, is she going to preach? And then you start thinking, oh my goodness, she's waiting for something. What is she waiting for? Oh, she's waiting for the Holy Spirit. I'll wait too. And it was phenomenal. 10, 15 minutes she would wait. And then she preached. She didn't say anything about it, but the phenomenal thing was she said, God, I will not move unless you move. Like Moses, Holy Spirit, I will not go there until I see you go there. When we shift the church's focus, when we shift that, everything else will come into line. We will see this kingdom come in this city. We will see people start to, I don't know why, but that looks like Jesus. I don't even know who Jesus is, but it looks like him. Stone after stone after stone will start to see something built that cannot be torn down. If you have a Bible with you, go to Isaiah 28 for me, 28 verse 16. I don't know if it's my water. I'm just going to drink it. Isaiah 28, 16, 17, and 18. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, tested, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Shah will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. The only way to not be beaten down by the things of this world, by the scorn that the Bible says will come through, is to build with the plumb line, sorry, with the cornerstone of Jesus, the plumb line of righteousness. And justice is the line. When we build on this, when we build on this foundation of Christ, everything else comes into line. 
when your life is in a, a tormented storm, almost all the time you can point out somewhere where there hasn't been a stone laid that looks like Jesus. I've been in conversation after conversation after conversation with guys who have problems. And when you, when you lay out their life and they explain things, you can pinpoint, see that? That's causing you torment. Change it and your life will change. Change that one thing. Tweak that one thing that you know you're doing, not of the stone of Christ, and I promise your life will realign. It is phenomenal to watch. That's why in the place of righteousness, we don't follow rules because Jesus, because, sorry, God the Father is a mean, mean God who needs you to do the things. We do it because he says, do it, and the storm won't knock you over. Build on righteousness, and I'll show you a life that is built that can't be pushed over. Ephesians uh, 2, verse 20, 21 to 22. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God the Spirit. So much in this one verse. But just look at this briefly because I need to move on. If you, if you have a pen and paper, write that down. Ephesians 2, 20, 21, 22. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. If you look at that individually, if that's your life and Jesus is the cornerstone, your life grows in to be a temple of God. A holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That when you build in way of Jesus being the cornerstone, you become the dwelling place of the Spirit. When this house builds in way of Jesus being the cornerstone, it becomes a dwelling place for the Spirit. Yes, that should be exciting for us. That makes us reevaluate everything we've been doing and going, God, show me. Show me where I can see that I'm not laying your cornerstone. I'm not coming off the stone that, you've, that, that you look like because I want to be a dwelling place for the Spirit. I want to be a holy temple, God, that, that honors you. That's what we're trying to do. So when you hear me harping on about, about Jesus, 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 that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to lay stone upon stone upon stone based on the first stone. If something's frustrating you because it hasn't been laid yet, it's because I don't know how to do it yet. God hasn't shown me what to do on that. And I will not lay it just for sake of it. I won't toss something out there and go, well, this is what church is, so we better have it and toss it out there because I'm going to have to go back to it later and rip it down and rebuild anyway. I want to know, God, is this you? Is this based on that stone, that, that precious cornerstone? If not, I don't want to build it. Next one, Reformation. I need to hustle. We're going to only probably get two points. It's unfortunate, but it's the way it is. Okay, reforming the church. While I talk, go to Luke 5, verse 36, 37, 38, and 39. We need to reform the church. The church has gone through a washing machine of change since the first Reformation back in, I should know the date, I don't. The 1500s, Edith for dates. Hang on, every time. 
we've been through a washing machine. I said this, you said that, I, I stand on this, I stand on that. One of the most frustrating things for me, and I, I get it all the time, is people will say, oh, you lead a church. What kind of church do you lead? And they're waiting for me to give them, an exa- give them a name because by the time I give them a name, they'll tell me everything I believe. So if I say I lead a Baptist church, they go, boom, I know what you believe. I lead a Presbyterian church, okay, I, know, I know what you believe. I lead a Catholic church, okay, I know exactly what you believe. It irks me. It irks me to the core. Because I go, you don't get to tell me what I believe on that, that topic. I don't even know what I believe yet. I haven't, I haven't found it in the Scriptures yet. It's one of the most divisive things, and I do it. And I slap myself on the hand every time. Oh, he's, he's a Presbyterian, therefore he believes this. We don't give each other the freedom to wrestle with the Scriptures like we should. We've got to find it in there. If you go, well, my, my, my dad was a Baptist, so I believe this about baptism. Okay, cool. Have you read it? Oh, no. I just know that that's what we believe. Really? That's what you want to bank on. Go and look for yourself. Come up with your own understanding. Wrestle with it. Sleep on it. Cry out to God about it. And then when you show somebody and they laugh at you, go, no, I've seen it. I know it's there. I've read it time and time and time and time again. I can't see anything else. Please, would you show me what you see? And then they explain what they see and you go, I can't see that in the scriptures. And they go, oh, well, that's just what we've always known. We've got to stop. If you, if you have a question about the scriptures, I will help you find it, but I will not give you the answer because then it's my faith, not yours. I'll help you find it. Tanya and I sit once a week and wrestle through scriptures. It's phenomenal. Sometimes we yell at each other. We get to throw things. No, we don't yell at, we don't yell at each other. But we're wrestling through to find answers that we don't have. I will not say to her, Tanya, you're a part of this church, therefore you believe this. No, that's not how I, I lead somebody. It's not how I disciple. We have the same thing. If you have something in your theology that you don't know why you believe that, please go and look. Go to the Scriptures. Do not hold, well, mum used to believe that. That's awesome. That's great. I'm so glad she passed that down to you. But you're a big kid now. You're a big boy. Put your big boy pants on. Go and look for it. Go and find it out. Wrestle with it. See if mum was right or wrong. Mum could be wrong. It's a hard thing to believe, but sometimes... He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skin out, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. If we want God to pour out this reformation that we all keep crying out for, it's not that God doesn't want to pour it. As the scripture says, it's that he cannot pour it because if he pours it, it'll bust the skin. What we take from this verse is, God, please give us the wisdom to give you a new wineskin that you can pour the new wine into. Because when we present that new wineskin, guess what? God pours the wine. And I love the end. I had to read it 367 times because I didn't understand it. But the end part there where it says, 
no one, um, no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. He's saying there, you would be a fool to have the new wine and say, no, don't worry about it, I've got this old wine. I've got this $4 bottle of Merlot, I'll stick with that. I know you're offering me this $400 bottle of Merlot, but I'll take the $4 one because I've had that, it's pretty good. It's silly. We want the new wine. God, bring the new wine. I don't look at people saying, bring reformation, and I'm upset with them. I'm saying there's got to be a plan. There's got to be a plan for God to pour the new wine in. God, we desire, the reason we sing those songs, God, break our walls down, come and move, because we're saying take out the old thing, take out the, the, the wineskin we no longer need, give us the new wineskin, and Father, pour the new wine, because we desire it. We desire it. Not for my sake, but I want to see people walking through that door like Mary did this morning and saying, I couldn't walk this morning. I came through that door and there was something about that entrance to the door that changed my life. Well, let me explain to you what happened in here. Man, that's the new wine. The kingdom manifest. Christianese word mean just be able to see it manifest, to have it in our grasp, to be able to, to, to hold it, taste it, smell it. That's what we want to see. The Garden of Eden extending into our world and the kingdom of God made present everywhere we go. That's the goal. That's the new wine. That's the fresh thing that he's pouring. And I tell you, I hate saying this because I've heard it so often, but I do truly believe it. God is doing something in this city. He's doing something in the city. I had a meeting with a guy last week and I said to him, Yes, but you guys have been saying this for 30 years. Uh, I like playing devil's advocate in some of these meetings. We've been saying he's doing something for 30 years. What is he doing? He is doing something. <laughs> and I know he's doing something. I feel it. And, I, and I, I'm happy to say I'm, I'm the insane guy, another church leader who will say, no, God's moving. He is moving in this city. It's crazy. Will you take it, though, and help further it? I need 10 more minutes, if that's okay. Thank you. Thank you. This house will endeavor to return the church to the model that was laid out in Scripture, a model that sees the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. This house will endeavor to redeem the nature of the bride of Christ that is evident in Scripture and redeem the language and movements of the early church. This house will also begin the journey toward unity in the body of Christ in this city, this nation, and the nations redeeming the church of Christ as he intended it to operate. That's our goal. I felt it this point more than anything. And I, I, I reiterate it in meeting after meeting with guys when I'm talking about unity and, and the church of the Gold Coast. We've got to reform. Don't think about, about ref, reforming or reformation in the old way. I'm not saying we, we nail something to the door and, and we create a new list of rules. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we, we have to look at the church and say, God, what have you put in here and what haven't you put in here? And then the things that he hasn't, we've ripped them out and we toss them. We sang the, the, this morning about um, something about taking away our comfortability. That's scary for people. People are quick to say that. Take what makes us comfortable. But the moment you touch that sacred cow, you better believe you're in for a battle. And we've had some. We've had guys leave and say, we don't like that you're doing this. And I've said, I'm so sorry, but I will not change it. 
God told me to do this, so I will not change it. If you have to leave and find something else, find it. But I've got to stand on what God gave me. You may think I'm insane, but I, I can't do anything else. I would, rather, I would rather stick to what God showed us and have five people than alter and have 5,000. We've got to change this. This city needs to see the unadulterated move of the kingdom of God. This nation needs to see the unadulterated move of the kingdom of God. We are, this nation is heading for its first biggest upset. And the church needs to be strong. Australia has been sheltered so beautifully. We've been through a few things, but we haven't seen pain like a lot of the rest of the world has. We haven't seen turmoil like a lot of the rest of the world has. And I'm not bringing that on Australia by any means. But I am saying this, without the foundation of the church, the body of Christ, we're going to flounder. We need to be strong and we need to be united. And it starts right here in this small little house, in this city, in this nation. For us, it starts here. I'm not saying there's a <laughs> we're the only place it starts. For us, it starts here. Is that okay? Is everyone okay? We understand how to reform, man. Eh? We understand what the goal is there. To change, to go back to the scriptures, go away from the traditions of man and build what God's asking us to build. The third one, discipleship. I'll put these two together and, I'll, and I'll, I'll go through them quite quickly. We've all heard of discipleship. Who's being discipled by somebody? You should all have your hands up, otherwise I feel a little bit upset. No, I'm just kidding. If you are not being discipled by somebody, if somebody is not showing you things, helping you wrestle through the Scriptures, if you can't think to yourself, man, when, when I have a theological question, who do I go to? Do I... Talk with somebody about it. You need to have that in your life. I cannot stress that more. There is times where, where I will phone friends, I will phone Brad, and we will talk for hours about a subject in the Scriptures. We'll wrestle. We will, we will banter. We'll, we will carry on with each other or we'll agree and we'll get spurred on and excited. But the, the, the point is, is that I get to ring a brother and say, what are your thoughts on this? I have never seen it. Or... I'm looking at that at the same time. Wrestle through tough verses. And it's, there's some that we're still wrestling, that we don't have answers for. And every now and again, I'm like, hey, bro, I'm back on that Romans, that Romans train again. I I'm, I'm still haven't got it. I'm still working it out. What do you think? I, you know, I haven't looked at it since we last spoke. But it's important for us to be being discipled. As important as we are discipling. Because as we're leading others, someone's leading us. And unless you believe that you have this thing figured out and you are like Jesus, you need someone helping you. I have probably three to four men that I talk to regularly about scriptures, about what I'm reading, about what books I should read and shouldn't read, how I'm seeing scriptures, how my marriage is, how um, I'm, I'm laying these foundational stones, how I'm, I'm positioning myself. And you know, there's times where they say, mate, you, you're stuffing this up. Do better. I'll get you a get well card. Get better card because you need to do better. But that's helpful. That helps us come closer to Jesus. That helps us see him more, know him more. We need to be being discipled. Yes.
Hey, do you want to do my preach for me? I'm just being cheeky. <laughs> just like that. I know Brad, I have a relationship with Brad that if he says something to me, I listen. Not to way of that he's always right, but because we have a relationship that I know he has my back. That if he says to me, hey bro, your marriage, you need help. I'd listen. I don't listen to everybody like that because I know that he has my back. When we have relationships like that, it has to be done out of relationship. It has to be. Because I can go to him and say exactly the same thing and he doesn't get offended at me. Well, sometimes it happens in the initial, but the reality... No, it doesn't. But the reality is I know he has my back. He wants the best for me, so I'll listen because he's my brother. They're the relationships we want to build. That's discipleship. It's not just, like he was saying, it's not just scripture. It's life. Do life together. That's what it means to be doing life together. Sitting, knowing, I, I, I know his daughter. I know how he's leading her. I can speak into that situation. I can talk into his marriage. I can talk into to how much he drinks or how, or how often he goes to the casino. Not that he does either of those things, but that's the relationship. That's how we build. That's how we disciple. And it is tough when you get rebuked. When someone says to you, bro, what you're doing there is awful. It's hurtful. It's hard. But man, when you fix it, you look back on it, like I was saying before, and you change that stone and you see God come back into that place, you go, I'm so thankful, bro. Thank you. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you for showing me that I was tossing my money away and now that I've begun to put it into a storehouse, like you've said, God's blessing that thing. That's relationship. That's discipleship. That's what God's calling us to do. And my, my point in this is, are you doing it? I, I'm trying to stay in line with you, Son. I'm trying to trying to get you. I'm holding my mic down. Son lip reads, so I'm trying to help. When we get to that place, man, we start to strengthen the church, starts to have one another's back. We start to look after each other. We start to grow in unity. And my desire and my hope is that I can be like that with the guy who leads a church down the road, with the guy who leads a church on the other side of the city, with the guy that, that leads a ministry that's doing something that I have no idea how to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving him all the support that I can. That's unity. That's the body coming together and discipling it. If you do not have someone discipling you, please ask God. Pray. Say, God, give me somebody. Give me a, God, a, a man or woman of wisdom that can show me how to walk. And you should be praying, God, where can I do that? Where can I be doing that? <laughs> I'm not even going to... I'm just going to let that go through to the keeper. Let that go through to the keep. He'll catch it and we'll, uh, we'll move forward. John 6 verse 60. Let's read some scripture so that we get away from that. John 6, 60 verse 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can, who can listen to it? This is my... This is one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. 
This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said this, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, the most beautiful answer, in my opinion, in the entire Bible. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus challenged the disciples and they didn't like it. He ruffled their feathers. He offended them. They left. Do we see Jesus panic and run after them? No. He says to the ones that stayed, don't you want to go as well? To me, that draws a picture of church building. God, if you've said this to me, please let it be your words because I'm going to speak it and I will not bend my knee. That's where we get to. If I've offended you from the Scriptures, I'm not sorry. Because the Scriptures are offensive. But when we walk in light of that, we go, God, I don't understand, but I will follow you in that. Then we start to see things happen. We start to see God move. That's what he's saying to them. I've offended you, but it's the words of life. It's the Spirit of God. That's who I said was coming. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but there's nowhere else for you to go. And I love that Simon Peter says, God, we don't have anywhere else to go. We don't get it. It's offensive. We're hurt, but we're going to keep walking with you because there's nowhere else to go. We're not going to turn back. We're not going to walk away. We're going to stick with you. That's where the church gets. That's where the church is. I will preach and I will preach and I will preach until the day that I can't preach anymore these scriptures and I will not apologize for them because that's God's doing. God, if you've said this and you've hurt people and offended people, then you have to handle that. I'm just saying what you said. I'm a messenger to you. The final thing I want to go to is Matthew 28, 18, 20. I just want to go there quickly. The mission. We've heard mission said 101 times. If you need to know about it, go and talk to Dave Barsh. He will give you some, some lessons on mission. But I want, to, I, just want to, I want to say one more thing. Matthew 28, 18, verse 20. We should all know it very well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's the first word in that? Go. Let's say it one more time. Go. One more time. We cannot do missions in here. This is not the place to do missions. This is the place, the temple, the holy place of God, to worship who he is, to come together and spur one another up in the faith, to grow and learn, and then to go. We go. Out there, that's the mission field. That's the place. If you want to invite your friends to church, awesome, love it, fantastic. I'm excited for them to come. But the goal is not to get them through that building and say, Ben will sort it out. That's not the goal. By the time you bring a friend through those doors, 
they should already know the name of Jesus. They should have already heard about who he is. They should have already seen him on your life. They should have already had a picture. And when they come through that door, they go, man, now I see this. I see what you've been talking about. It's phenomenal. I had a friend once, quick story, I had a friend once we were at a, at a festival and there was a, a guy preaching. It was, it was Easter Sunday and there was a guy preaching and she said to me, there was about five of us, um, I was playing in a band at the time and we were going to watch this thing and we had a gig and she said to me, hey, do you know the preacher? And I said, no, I don't. She said, do you think, like, is he, is he a good preacher? And I said, oh, I don't know. I guess we'll find out why. She says, well, I want to invite my friend along, but I can only get him to one service. I want to choose the right service. I want to make sure that he, he hears God correctly. So uh, there's about three I can choose from. I want to make sure I pick the right one. My heart broke. I was like, it's not that man's job to see your friend saved. He was given to you. He's your friend. You show him Jesus. You teach him Jesus. You tell him who, is, who this person is who's changed his life. And then when he comes and he hears from that preacher, it reinforces what you've already told them. Now there's two people who have told him that. You see, we've made this culture where it's my job. It's not my job to fill this place with people. It's our job to fill God's place with kingdom. Sorry, with people. God's kingdom with people. Our job, all of us, me and you. I'm happy to help. If you've got a friend that says, hey, uh, hey this guy, he's an, he's an atheist. He's, he's battling with me. I, I, he, um, I think he's almost there. Would you help me? 100%. I'll come and sit in and hang out with you. I'll, I'll chat with him, hang out, become friends. That's different. But when you come to the door and say, I've brought my friend. You didn't get him saved. Your fault. No, that's not what we're building. Go out. I don't go to single mum groups because I'm not a single mum. But single mums go to single mums group. That's your sphere of influence. I'm not a, an engineer. I'm not going into the engineering field. Engineers go into engineer fields. So be Christ-like in the field of an engineer. That's what this kingdom is all about. Take it into your sphere. That's your mission field. That's your ground. That's the soil that you get to till, sow and reap. That's the soil. Then come in here and rub shoulders with your brothers. Say, man, I want to worship God for the things I've seen this week. So awesome. I want to learn some more so that I can take it back out and show those guys. That's the mission. That's what we're here to do. Come in. Grow. Worship. Praise, let God show you who he is. Then go out and show it out there. You've freely been given, therefore freely give. That's what we're here to do. Does that make sense? Is everyone okay? That's what we want to build the church on. That's our vision. That's our goal. Very briefly, um, no, I won't show it. Sorry. Dangled a carrot. I want to end with a quote that I, I read from a Facebook post from a friend of mine who leads a church in Wales. And it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard to hear, but I think it's important. He wrote this, The church you attend, or your church, question mark, agreement does not equal ownership. I like what you are doing is very different to I believe in, what we're, in where we are going. Let me say that again. Agreement does not equal ownership. I like what you are doing is very different to I believe in what we are doing. 
Agreement means people like the idea and are excited about the mission being carried out by someone. Agreement may even see people be involved, serving in various ministries. But ownership, ownership is when we take it a step further. We risk comfort. We risk time. We risk money. We risk our self-interest for the mission to see Jesus glorified. That, to me, is phenomenal. I like what you are doing is very different to, I believe, what we are doing. This is a family. We are a family of people. Jess and I cannot do this on our own. God's given us a vision and a plan, but we need the gifts, the talents, the attributes that God's put in you. It's not me standing up here and look what Ben's built. That's not what this is. I hope no one ever says that. But we are building something God has shown. We, we stand in that place and go, God, we gave everything that we had. I hope that we brought your kingdom. That when we stand before God, he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. You ushered the kingdom well. That's where we want to be. You ushered my kingdom well. You advanced the garden well. Well done. That's who we are. That's what we want to build. That's what we are harping. I want to say one more time, Jess and I can't do this on our own. We know we have shortcomings. We know we have shortfalls. We are learning as much as you are learning. We are struggling through things. We are triumphing through things. We are seeing incredible change and growth. And we believe God's doing something. You're a big part of that. Know that you're a big part of that. And, and I ask, ask God to show you what, where you should be working, what you should be doing, how you should be praying, and then do that. Is that okay? Okay. Our community aims to be a house that shifts our focus back onto Jesus Christ, reforms the bride back to where she was always meant to be, disciples the saints to go out into the nations to further the garden and declare the kingdom has come. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for this work that you've given us. God, I pray for every single person that, that's seated here this morning, Father. And God, I pray that you begin to speak. Show them where you want them to be. If it's this house, Father, reveal the plans and purposes you have. If it's another house, Father, show them that. Show them the plans and purposes, Father. Allow them to go and be strengthened in that place. And Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you help us stay, stay focused on you, Jesus, to reform your church back to the way you always wanted it to be. God, give us wisdom. Above all else, give us wisdom to see you, to know you, to lay the stone the next stone and the next stone based on you, Jesus. Give us the wisdom to do that. We love you. We honor you, Father. We just thank you for that. Jesus, in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sitting for a little longer than I intended. I can't help it. You know, it's just where we're at. I'm sorry I didn't hand out the tithe basket. If you want to tithe in this house, if, if you feel God telling you to, or if you do regularly, there'll be two baskets at the back. Toss your coins in there your notes, your checks, your credit cards, whatever you've got. Toss them in there and um, we love you guys and we'll be chatting and we will speak next week. We're starting a series next week. Point. Four-week series on a spectacular book. I know what it is, but I'm not telling you what it is. So please come, be a part of that four-week series. It's going to be quite incredible. I'm quite excited by it. We're stirred in there. It's going to be some real tough things to, sw to swallow and some awesome stuff. So come, be a part of that. Bless you.